0: Let's open our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 5, where you may have spent some time last evening, and I hope you did. What a wonderful chapter, and it certainly lends itself to this study that we want to make this day. We want to consider today what I'm going to call the facets of salvation. That word is F-A-C-E-T-S, facets. A diamond has facets. A facet is the different facial surface on a gem like a diamond. And a diamond well cut has many facets. And when you hold it and twist it just slightly in a bright light like the sun, you can see all those different facets. And when we take salvation and look at it, we want to see all the facets of salvation, and there are many. To learn the truth about salvation, we typically start with the seven proofs of unconditional salvation. That eternal life is a sovereign gift of God to undeserving sinners chosen by Him before the foundation of the world. And we see that proven in the Bible from seven proofs. We then take the five phases of salvation to understand how God saves us in five distinct stages through time. Another way, and as we progress further, we want to look at the components of salvation or the facets. And those are the terms that God the Holy Spirit chose from our everyday lives to reflect what a great transaction it was when Jesus died for us. The word salvation doesn't tell us very much. Now, if you're thinking of all sorts of things, when I say the word salvation, it's because you already know much of what I'm about to preach. But the word by itself, the word salvation means deliverance. It doesn't teach us us hardly a thing. And so God the Holy Spirit gave us a whole lot of other words to fill out the sense of this diamond called our salvation. If a diamond only had one facet, It'd be a pretty ugly stone. But it's got many. And God the Holy Spirit chose these words and they help us fully appreciate what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. Salvation is the gift of eternal life. We know that. Salvation is the gift of eternal life that God gives to His elect, which is their deliverance from sin, from death, from Satan, from condemnation, from the lake of fire through the sacrificial death of Jesus for them. But God has chosen some special words for us to fully grasp what Jesus accomplished for us. And we want to lay hold of those words and use them today to rejoice, ye righteous, to shout for joy for what God has done for us in the death of His Son. So that when we come to this cup and this bread in the Lord's Supper that we'll have in the second assembly we will have much to be thankful for. We'll be able to thank Him for all these different words and concepts that He has chosen for us to fully appreciate what He did for us. We are going to focus on our legal salvation, what Jesus did in the cross. You know, there's election and foreknowledge and predestination that, went, that occurred before the cross. There is regeneration and quickening that occurs sometime in our lives. There's resurrection and glorification that's coming in the future. We want to look at what happened at the cross. And we've got about 16 facets of salvation, words the Bible uses to describe it for us. Our goal is to fully appreciate the love of Christ for us and what He accomplished by His sacrifice. The cross of Christ should be of great importance to us. You can measure, you can measure the health of your soul right now as to how much you want to hear about the facets of eternal life and of the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you are living in sin at all, this will be boring to you because this is the witness of the Holy Spirit of what Jesus did for us. Only if your heart is right will you delight in these things. It is the great separator. It is the great divider. How much does the Son of God dying on the cross of Calvary mean to you? That is the measure of a man. That is the measure of a Christian. And so I ask you to confess your sins right now and beg God to stir you up to love what the Bible has to say about what Jesus did for us. The Apostle Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I determined that that was going to be the focus of my ministry. I rode by Roper Mountain Baptist Church once this week, and I saw out on their sign that they had quoted part of 1 Corinthians 2 that said these words, these are the words they had on their sign, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I wondered to myself, I wondered if that church even knows what they put on their sign. Because if they understood those words, then they would have taken their church services and dumbed them down and taken away all forms of entertainment from them. Because those words mean, we are not going to entertain you, we are not going to appeal to you, we are not going to use the wisdom of man's words to get your attention, we are not going to use the slick talking of Joel Osteen We are not going to use the jumping and chicken strutting music of the World Redemption Center. We are going to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And if you like that message, then it will prove the power of God in your life. Because that's what that verse means. You know, we don't need to go to seminars to find out how to entertain our church. We need to go to the Word of God and preach it And those who love what they hear are the true children of God and those who don't are most likely the children of the devil. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what ought to excite you. I know I've given you these verses before. I even mentioned them last Sunday. Paul said, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. God forbid that we should get excited about anything in comparison to the cross of Christ. And that cross of Christ should make us think that the world is dead and to hate it. And that cross of Christ should make us so different that the world thinks we're dead. (laughs) And hate us. That's That's all in that one little verse. Esther? Do you still like that verse? Galatians 6.14 But God forbid, you're not too scared, are you? But God forbid that I should glory saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you all love that verse? That's her favorite verse. Salvation means deliverance from peril or trouble or rescue from something that's going to hurt you. But we can profit by some other words the Bible uses. And I want you to do that with me. You know, the Bible wasn't written for the world at large. Right. I love reading Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul wrote the church at Colossian. Colossae. He told them that they were special, called to be saints, children of God in the world, and that he had written them an epistle. And he said, when you're done reading this epistle, I want you to take it a number of miles away and give it to the church at Laodicea and let them read the epistle I wrote you and you get from them the epistle that I wrote them. The epistles were traded back and forth among the churches of Jesus Christ because the epistles addressed the children of God. You know, they could. the Apostle Paul could have called the churches to sit down and copy the Scriptures a million times and put it in every nightstand of every hotel in Ephesus. But they didn't do that. They circulated it among the saints because it's the the saints only that can enjoy these things. These things are only for the saints of God, and we're going to rejoice in them this morning. Let's go to Romans five, where you've opened your Bible a number of minutes ago. Romans chapter five, let me read to you verses six through 11, to start with. Romans 5:6 through 11. This is what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. For when we were yet without strength in due time. Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than The atonement. Now, there's several words in there that are beyond the word salvation. We have the words justification, we have the words reconciliation, and we have the words atonement. And we want to look at those words and what they mean to us. And we need, you know, this is going to be simple. Justification deserves many sermons in its own right. We just want to remember what it actually means. We know what's under consideration here. The death of Jesus Christ. It said that in verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, it says that Christ died for us. In verse 9, it mentions His blood. In verse 10, it mentions His death. And so we know exactly what's under consideration And that's what we're here for in the house of God this day. And that's to remember the death, blood, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we'll do in the way that He has prescribed in the Lord's Supper. Let's start with verse 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood. Justify. Justification. It's a word we want to get our hands around and our minds around and our heart around. The word justify means the work of adjudicating, or judging, or declaring a person to be righteous who had legitimately been condemned as guilty for offenses or crimes. Mm -hmm. To justify someone is to declare them free from all charges. But in the Bible it's even more than that is to declare them free from all charges and to declare them as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ. And who is the judge in the matter? God Himself. Justification is a forensic or legal term that describes our legal standing before God as a judge. It includes all that. God is a judge when we use the word justification. Because He has judged the soul that sinneth, it shall die. God has judged the wages of sin is death. God has judged all men have come short of the glory of God. We're condemned. But justification is Jesus dying in our place. So that God views that substitutionary death on our behalf, freeing us from our sins and declaring us righteous as the one who died for us. That is justification. Some have said, if you can remember the word justified, then you can remember this little definition, just as if I'd never sinned. But that's only halfway there. It's just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I'd lived the perfect life of Jesus Christ. That's what real justification is. We are justified by Jesus Christ, perfect righteousness being positively applied to our account and our sins being negatively paid for by His death before God as judge. That is justification. And we start with it right here because it's in Romans 5, 9, and we want to build from there. This is what we want to think about and rejoice in today. As God gives us these facets, and some of them overlap a little, indeed, some of them overlap, but it gives us such a full view of what God has accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. It would be wonderful if God had just delivered us from the lake of fire could you be thankful for eternity that you were not in the lake of fire? But it's going to get a whole lot better than that before we finish today. Because He's done a whole lot more for us than just deliver us from the lake of fire. There's a whole lot more accomplished by the death of Jesus Christ than just that. God cannot acquit or clear guilty and wicked parties. You may have had a parent, you may have had teachers, you may have faced judges before that simply cleared you and said, I'm not going to charge you this time. You may have had a police officer at your window when you were 20 miles an hour over and he said, I'm going to let you go this time, but drive slower, Mr. Crosby. God can't do that. The God of heaven can't do that. Do you know why He can't do that? Because He is perfectly just and holy. He must punish every infraction of every commandment. He must punish it whether it's just a thought in your mind, a lust in your heart, a word from your lips. He must punish it. And He will punish it. He's just and holy. How can this just God, who must punish every infraction... Accept sinners into heaven. By the justifying work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came and lived a perfect life for us. He was the perfect son I never was. He was the perfect student I never was. He was the perfect employee I never was. He was the perfect church member I never was. He was the perfect neighbor I never was. And all that righteousness I am clothed with by the choice of God who drapes me in the beautiful garments of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He drapes you with that garment. And when God looks at us, Psalm 45 says, The King shall greatly desire thy beauty. Thy... What beauty? The righteous are going to say at the right hand of Jesus Christ, what have we ever done for you? They don't even know their own beauty. But God sees their beauty. Right. Because it's the righteousness of Christ. And then Jesus died on the cross. The innocent Passover lamb. The fulfillment of the Passover lamb. And our sins were poured out upon Him and God punished Him in our stead. We do believe in a substitutionary penal atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not believe He died a martyr's death. We do not believe He died to give us an example on how to die. We believe He died as a substitute for us because we should die. And we should die eternally. We should die the second death. But He saved us from them all by His death. That is how the Bible says God can be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. You show me a man that believes in Jesus and I'll show you a God that is just and a God that is a justifier. He is just in that every single one of that believer's sins have been paid for by Jesus dying on the cross And he is the justifier by applying that to that believer. And I can tell you easily which one comes first. Because we have obtained faith through the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith and your believing follows Jesus Christ dying for you and securing for you that gift of the Holy Ghost that you would ever believe the truth of the gospel. While we're here, in Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 17. Let's get verse 16 as well. We're talking about justification. It's a legal term. We stand before God as judge. And we shall stand before God as judge. And we shall give an account of our lives. The Apostle Paul said we would in Romans 14. The Apostle Paul said we would in 2 Corinthians 5. Solomon said we would in Ecclesiastes 12. John wrote that we would in Revelation chapter 20. We shall give an account of our lives before God the judge. But there will be a justifying reason there for us to be delivered from our offenses. And that justifying reason is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16 puts it like this. Remember, this is a comparison between the first Adam and the second Adam. We all know why we die. Do you know why you die? The evolutionists don't know why you die. They haven't figured that one out. They know why you live. They know why you run around on two legs because you were once a four-legged something or other and decided you liked the hind legs better. Maybe it was to reach the banana in the tree. Who knows? But we know why we die. Right. Because we had a first father that made a choice to go against God when God said, You eat of that fruit, thou shalt surely die. This passage compares that first Adam with the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Verse 16, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Paul is saying the second Adam is better than the first Adam. The first Adam got us condemned by one sin, the second Adam got us justified by many offenses because he took all of our sins. More than just one of them. More than just ten of them. More than just a million of them. He took them all. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Jesus Christ. Amen. That's justification. The first man's offense caused death to have the rule and power over our lives. But the gift of God and the abundance of grace and the righteousness of Christ has caused life to reign over us. Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. That is what we believe. That free gift came upon men. You don't have to accept the free gift. It isn't you accepting it. It's God accepting it. Jesus never offered Himself to sinners. Jesus offered Himself without spot to God. And God accepted Him, and that justified us. And this free gift came upon all men. What kind of all men? All men that are in Christ Jesus, right. because the Bible tells us, as in Adam, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, and you can pencil right in your margin right there, first corinthians fifteen twenty two to give you an explanation for that word, all yeah. all that were in Adam are condemned and die, all that are in Christ are justified and live forever right. and how do they get into Christ? We were chosen in him. Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 4. God is not trying to save anyone. God is not trying to justify anyone. The second Adam has already justified us. Praise his glorious name. One more verse on justification. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When we take up the bread, Later this day, when we take up the cup, later this day, let's remember, Jesus died to justify me before God as judge. Oh, there's much more to God than being a judge. Oh, brother, there is. There is, but He is a judge. And we shall meet Him as a judge. But He'll be a friendly judge. Because Jesus Christ is going to be there. He's my lawyer. I've got Him on a retainer. Because God's assigned him to my case forever. Do You know what? I don't have a penny to pay. But he's on a retainer forever. He ever liveth to make intercession for me. And I keep him busy. Thank you, brother. I'm thankful that I have an intercessor like that. He was assigned to my case before I was wise enough to even know I needed one. By whom? By the judge himself. And he ain't no public defender. He was assigned by the everlasting love of God for my soul. Amen. And he's interceding on my behalf. And he's gonna win every case that he ever tries. That's right. Second Corinthians 5:21. Look at this: For he hath made him to be sin for us. Second Corinthians 5:21. For he that is God hath made him that is, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That is what we get from a little word called justify. Now we have the word save, but all that means is deliverance. When we have the word justify, that means that we have been freed from our crimes and offenses and sins against God, delivered from our state of condemnation and given the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that we stand before him in perfect righteousness of God that is justification let's come back to Romans chapter 5 and grab the next one in that chapter that's a simple explanation of justification much much more can be said much more has been said Romans chapter 5 now notice that ninth verse again much more than Being now justified by His blood. We just covered that. Jesus shed His blood. God had to kill His only begotten Son to justify us. Because we had sinned, and the wages of sin is death. Someone had to die. Jesus died. By His blood, we were justified. I hope you have that one fully under control in your mind and heart. But notice, look at this verse. Much more than, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. What are the first two words of that verse? Much more. No. Can there be something better than justification? You mean there's something better than just looking at God as a judge and us being delivered from the condemnation of our sins? And being granted a free and righteous status in the eyes of the law? Is there something better than that? Yes! Yes. Is it a little bit better? No! Is it a whole lot better? Yes! Much more! I want you to read every word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Much more than Being now justified. That one's already been done. By His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. There's a future aspect of Christ's death through Him. And what is that? That is His intercessory work at the right hand of God on high, delivering us from the wrath to come. But we got to get verse 10. We'll come back to that. Don't, oh, don't worry. For if, look look at this. He's explaining verse 9 by expanding it in verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. There we have three facets. Justification, reconciliation, and the intercession of His life. And Paul is telling us twice. Did you see much more in verse 10? Do you remember much more from verse 9? Twice He said, much more, there is something better than the death of Christ, and that's that Jesus lives to make intercession for us, to save us from the wrath to come. We shall be saved in all of the glorious stages, including glorification, by the work of Jesus Christ for us. Let's look at reconciliation for a minute. Reconciliation. It means to reconcile two parties that were enemies to each other. They hated each other. They were angry. They were antagonistic. There was bitterness between them. To reconcile is to take those two parties and to put them at peace once again. And a final settlement of differences so that they are agreeable and united with each other once again. That's what reconciliation means. It's a relational term. You know, we use it when, a, when two people are trying to get a divorce. We say you two ought to be reconciled. Does it say that in the Bible? First Corinthians 7.11 She's supposed to remain unmarried so that she can be reconciled to her husband. Brother Jeff and others in here who are accountants and financial analysts do reconciliation work. When you do bank reconciliations, that means you are making what the bank says you have and what your ledgers say you have the same. You're bringing them into agreement so that there's no differences between them. And we call it bank reconciliations. It's to bring two parties into agreement. We use mediators for it. We use arbitrators for it. We use all sorts of means to bring things back together into unity and to put peace between them so that there's no differences, no disagreement, no animosity, no fighting, no war, no resentment, no grudges. All at peace. It's called reconciliation. Reconciliation is a relational term. Describing our friendship with God who had been our enemy. Reconciliation puts us in a relationship with God as being His friend. So that justification was He is our judge. Reconciliation, He is our friend. Because all differences have been removed between the two of us. God reconciled the elect to Himself by pouring out His wrath. Not against us, but against Christ. And He got rid of it all. Right. He poured it all out. Amen. Do you know what the Bible says? I have a cup to drink. I have a cup to drink and I have a baptism to be baptized with that you do not know of. Right. And do you know how much He drank of that cup? Do you think He just drank the top half? Or does the Bible tell us He drank the whole cup including the dregs? Amen. And when He was baptized, do you think He just got a little bit sprinkled in His forehead or something poured in His forehead in the form of a cross? Or was He buried under those waters? Right. He took all the wrath of God. Do you know how much there is left against us? None. Do you know why we know that Jesus Christ did not die for all men? Because the wrath of God is going to burn against them for eternity. That's right. Why is it burning against them if He already poured it out against Jesus Christ? He poured it out against Jesus Christ so His elect will have nothing against them. He is our friend now because we've been reconciled. The two parties that were once enemies. Doesn't it say that here? For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God with the death of His Son. The wrath. Do you know what the Bible says about God and the wicked? The Bible says God is angry with the wicked until they believe. God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7 and verse 11. That anger was poured out for our sins and the Lord Jesus Christ And by his death we were reconciled to God. Once we were God's enemies, but the death of his Son reconciled us to God. And with that reconciliation in place, Jesus Christ now makes intercession for us at the right hand of God with a friendly relationship of accepting and receiving and hearing Jesus Christ reminding God of what he has done for us. Some of of these terms, as you think about them, They are word pictures for us to get a full measure of what Jesus did for us. And we want to rejoice in them. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We were just there to get verse 21. We want verses 18 through 20 this time. In Ephesians chapter 2, the wicked are called the children children of wrath. Because Romans chapter 9 and verse 22 tells us, What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? There's a whole group of mankind that are under the wrath of God. They're left that way. The, la- the wrath has been lifted from us because it was poured out on Christ Jesus. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him in our stead. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, "...and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation." To wit, here's the Holy Spirit explanation of that verse, "...that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation." Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Amen. For two parties to come together, both parties have to be reconciled. God's been reconciled to us by the death of His Son for us. God's already been taken care of. He poured out all of His wrath upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of His elect. He is reconciled. He does not impute their trespasses to them. They are blameless in His sight. But the apostles carried the message of reconciliation to wit, the word of it. They bring the news, God has been reconciled. He is no longer the angry antagonist and enemy of ours. He is our friend through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Be ye reconciled to God. You through through evil works and an alien mind who have known that you are at enmity against God yourself, be ye reconciled to God. You get over your hang-ups that you have about God. Get over your guilt because Jesus Christ has paid for it all. And you be reconciled to God. God's already reconciled to us through what Jesus Christ did for us. That's verses 18 through 20. The two halves of the two parties coming together. If we never had the Gospel come to us and tell us, that God's been reconciled, we'd live all of our lives in guilt and fear. But because the Gospel does come to us, it's the word of reconciliation. It's the news of what God already did. We don't add to it, except we benefit from it in our own consciences and in our own souls by believing what God has done through Jesus Christ. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Let's just grab this word reconcile another time. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. And, Colossians 1 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. Remember, reconciliation is to take two warring parties and put them back at peace. So we have it here. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Notice, there's no things anywhere else to be reconciled. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. There's reconciliation. God through the death of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 20, it's the blood of His cross. In verse 22, it's the body of His flesh through death. It's Jesus dying that brought God, our enemy, into a peaceful relationship with us because sin was taken out of the way by the Lord Jesus. That is reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God. When we take up His blood, when we take up His bread, later today, we want to remember God is our friend by Jesus Christ coming between us and taking all of our guilt and the things that angered God and suffering God's wrath for us so that we are now reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Amen. Come back to Romans 5. Romans 5. Let's look at that verse 9 again. Look at the first two words. Much more then. There is something the Apostle is leading up to That is better than justification. Much more than being now justified by his blood. If that is a given fact, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There is a future deliverance from wrath that is yet to come. And now we want to look at a moment at his intercession, which is part of the word salvation. When Jesus saved us, he took his accomplishments on the cross and ever pleads them at the right hand of God for us. This picture is not as important to you as it would have been to a to a Jew or to anyone that came from a religion that had a priest. Right. You've never had a priest, so you don't fully appreciate priestly intercession. Remember, the Jews had priests that would go before God and offer up sacrifices to make intercession for Israel. This intercession becomes important to such people. And it should be important to us. There is a life of the Lord Jesus Christ that is much more than His death. His death was a one-time event, but His life is forever to make sure the benefits of that death are never lost. They won't be lost. It's a word picture for you. Yes, when He died on the cross, we were justified. We could never be unjustified. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? But for us to get the full picture, Jesus Christ is always at the right hand of God with us in mind and being there as a living testimony and a living witness of what He did for us. And He will intercede for us and identify us in the day of wrath to come and say, behold, I and the children which thou hast given me, I have rescued every one of them. These do not go into everlasting fire. These do not go into the second death. These are mine. Father, they're in the book of life. He ever lives to save us. That is what is intended by that future tense. We shall be saved by His life. And it's much more than just Him dying and delivering us from the legal charge of sin. It is His life to intercede for us as our priest. Verse 9 and 10 have the words much more. Verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, that enmity was taken away much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And verse 9, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Notice, being justified in verse 9, verse 10, being reconciled, those are given facts with those given facts that took place at the cross, in both verses we are pointing to the fact that Jesus is alive and He's doing something for us now to save us from the wrath to come. He is not going to let any of that successful justification or reconciliation be lost because He ever liveth to make intercession for us. This is the priestly and mediatorial work of pleading the case of a party by an advocate Or a mediator on behalf of a criminal to the judge responsible for hearing the case. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and men, and He's a glorious one. Look at chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I showed you those words much more. When we read the Bible, much more. See, it's not just that He died. There is something much more. He is alive and will not let the results of His death ever be lost. Romans 8.33. Romans 8.33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Verse 33 is like Romans 5.9. Justification is a settled fact. We are just before God as judge. Who shall lay anything to our charge? But now look at verse 34. Who is He that condemneth? Who will try to condemn one of God's elect? It is Christ that died... Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. In verse 34, you have the words, yea, rather. What two words do they compare to in Romans 5? Mm -hmm. Much more. Yea, rather. Christ died in Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, but yea, rather, He is risen again, and where is He? He is even at the right hand of God, and what is he doing? He's making intercession for us. It's his priestly work of taking his sacrifice of his own blood and pleading our case before God the Father. Look at Romans seven, Hebrews, Hebrews, excuse me, Hebrews, chapter seven. And those of you that memorized this epistle for quizzing last year might know this verse, Hebrews seven twenty five. Hebrews chapter 7, at this juncture in the chapter, it's the Apostle Paul showing that the priesthood of Jesus Christ is better than any priest of the the Jews. Because those priests could not continue by reason of death. They all died. That's a pitiful thing when your priest that you're trusting in dies. 7.25 Wherefore, let's get verse 24. Let's get verse 24. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Jesus Christ never dies. Wherefore, because of that never dying, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. He is able to save them to the uttermost. The uttermost of time. The uttermost of any sin. The uttermost in any way you want to define it. Because he ever lives to make sure that the benefits procured by His death, are never lost. Much more. Yea, rather. Christ died, but yea, rather. He's living and He carries His death and its benefits to the Lord. Look at chapter 9 and see how popular this thought is. Chapter 9 of Hebrews and verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. That is His intercessory work. So we've taken the word salvation and we've seen justification. God has declared us free from the guilt and condemnation of our sins and He's declared us righteousness with Christ's righteousness. He's reconciled us. The enmity and anger and wrath that was between God and sinners as we were His enemies has been lifted and we are friends. And He ever lives to make intercession for us. Back to Romans 5. Back to Romans 5. There's another one here. I hope you'll always remember much more. You have a living intercessor that will never die and He will save us to the uttermost because He ever lives to make intercession for us. That's in Romans 5. It's in Romans 8. It's in Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 9. But then Paul adds this verse in verse 11. And not only so, you that are reading my epistle, if you have been excited and thankful for justification, reconciliation, and intercession, that is not the only thing I have to tell you about your salvation. Amen. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Romans 5.11 Notice the word, and not only so, and then the word also. I have more to tell you, is what the Apostle is saying. Justification, reconciliation, intercession is not all I have to tell you. I also want to tell you that Jesus Christ is our atonement, and we've received the atonement. You don't appreciate the word very much because you haven't used it in a sentence this past week, have you? Now what if you were a Jew? Or what if you were a Gentile convert to the religion of the Jews. You would know about the Day of Atonement. One day a year. One day a year the high priest would take the blood of bulls and of goats and go into the holiest of all and put that blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the whole nation and for his own sins. And then he would come out and put the sins on the head of a scapegoat and a fit man. Yes, there were fit men in the Bible a fit man would take that goat far away from the camp of Israel and leave it out there, and that was called a scapegoat. It was a great event, the Day of Atonement in the history of Israel. But they had to repeat it every year. They had to repeat it every year because it wasn't doing any good. By by whom we have received the atonement. You can find the word atonement in the Old Testament because the word atonement means to put at one again. I use that definition so that you can look at the word. How's, what's, what are the first five levers, first five letters of atonement? A-T-O-N-E? At one. The word atonement means to put two parties at one again, by whom we have received the atonement. Every year the nation had all their sins put on the head of the scapegoat, the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat, and they were put at one again with God for another year. But then they'd have to repeat it again the next year. And Hebrews 10 tells us that was to remind them that the blood of animals could not put away sin. But we have received the atonement through Jesus Christ. If you were a Jew reading that passage, you would know full well what that meant. I hope that my short explanation helps you with it a little. Amen. The Holy Spirit chose to include this word in Romans chapter 5 and verse 11 to add to the words justification, reconciliation, the intercessory work that is here described, And then also, He has put us at one again, just like the Day of Atonement under the Old Testament. If we were to read further in this chapter, and I've already made reference to it, so I don't need to elaborate on it at all, in verses 12 through 19, we have the work of representation. A forensic or legal work. Where Jesus Christ stood in as our substitute and our representative and obeyed for us. Romans 5, 12 through 19 describes it in detail. We've already read verses 16 through 18. It says in verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Our righteousness before God does not depend upon our obedience, does not depend upon our righteousness. It depends entirely upon the obedience of one for us. And that one is Christ Jesus. And that's the representation. When we look at the word salvation included there, is Jesus Christ, the man, Jesus of Nazareth, being the second Adam. God made a covenant with the first Adam. If you sin, your sin and its consequences is going to be transferred and applied, imputed to every one of your descendants. To Jesus Christ. If you obey and you suffer death on the cross, your obedience and your death Will be applied and imputed to every one of those that I've given you to save. He is the second Adam. This is what we believe about salvation. A first Adam stood in for us in the Garden of Eden and flunked. And it doesn't matter whether you know about Adam. It doesn't matter whether you believe Adam. It doesn't matter whether you accept him as your sin representative. It doesn't matter that you're not even born yet. You are accountable. For Adam's sin. And that's why, as I said last Lord's Day, even miscarried infants in their mother's womb are bearing the consequences of Adam's sin. But we have a second Adam. And that second Adam came to undo all the evil effects of that first Adam. And he obeyed perfectly and secured for us the everlasting righteousness of God. And it is by his obedience that we are made righteous by Romans 5.19. And this is called, as we read in verse 17, this is the abundance of grace. This is the gift of righteousness. And it is reigning in life by one, Jesus Christ. We don't add one bit to that reign. We don't add one bit to that rule. That reign and rule is the abundance of grace and the gift of life by one man, Jesus Christ. When we say that we are saved by the death of Christ, we mean we have been justified by the judge. We've been reconciled to our enemy who is now our friend. He intercedes for us, Jesus does, and will save us to the uttermost. We have been put at one again, like the Day of Atonement, but it's forever. And we have a second Adam, who has undone everything the first Adam did against us. Those are five to get us started on what Jesus accomplished for us by His death. Be glad, ye righteous. Rejoice, ye upright in heart. You know, right now you think you're going to live forever. You little 20-year-old twerps. You think you're going to live forever. You know, there's a day coming which you're going to know that you are totally frail and you are totally dependent upon the mercy of God. And maybe then you'll be glad. You ought to be glad today. Your life is wasting away. It is running away. It is racing away. And you should lay hold on all of these things and by faith believe them. Lay hold of eternal life by believing it. That's what the Bible says. By faith we lay hold of eternal life. God's already given it to us. But do you know that he, knows, that he knows I'm saved is good when I know I'm saved is very helpful. Do you know what I mean? It says lay hold on eternal life. I want to make my calling and election sure. It's already sure to Him, but I'd like to make it sure to me. Because it being sure to Him doesn't make me very sure. I want to make it sure to me. And the Bible tells me to lay hold by faith and add to my faith virtue and the other things, and I can know that it applies to me as well. Right. Amen. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Amen. But what does it mean? It means He justified us, reconciled us, intercedes for us. He is our atonement. And he's been the second Adam to represent us and undo the effects of the first. And we're just getting warmed up. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word, the comfort of your souls. Amen. Amen.